Which song best sums up my life? Private Universe by Crowded House. Quite often being quite a private person. I'd say the Beach Boys. I just wasn't made for these times. Don't worry, be happy. <laughs> Try and not stress the small stuff. James Taylor, that's why I'm here. You know, I'm here to help wherever I can. Celebrate your life the way you want, like I did with a fixed price funeral plan from Tobin Brothers Funerals. The price doesn't change and your life will be celebrated your way. Find out more at tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. On RSN, welcome to This Is Your Racing Life, proudly presented by Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Here's Brian Martin. Good morning. Welcome to This Is Your Racing Life on this Sunday morning, the last of our series uh, of talking to the the people that uh, make it a great sport. And uh, one of the, the top trainers, of course, in the nation is David Hayes. G'day, Dave. How are you doing? Morning, Brian. Well, it's... Uh, been a week that uh, we won't forget, uh, especially in racing. Just an update on where you're positioned at the moment. I'm speaking to you, your rower. Uh, you're sort of in lockdown mode? Uh, yeah, we, we're not in total lockdown, but, but we're really trying to um, be as careful as we possibly can. And racing's doing a great job to hang on. A lot of the other sports have dropped off and under a unique model that RV's put up and Racing in Sydney, uh, Racing Australia, we've been able to keep the show on the road. So we're all very grateful of that. Just not sure how long it's going to last. I think that's the biggest concern, but uh, we have to deal with what we have uh, at the moment, and the show continues to roll on. David, um, later in the year, hopefully, you'll make that move back to Hong Kong. Um, what's the situation now with you as far as trying to get out of the country and get into another country? Well, I plan to do two or three hit-and-run trips to Hong Kong to set up my stable. Uh, but obviously, with the two weeks quarantine going into Hong Kong and the two weeks quarantine coming out, uh, it's just not practical to do it. So I'm, I'm going to do all my uh, setting up the stable over the computer and setting up my home, which Pru will do. And when I go in July, I'll just go and do my quarantine as, as I'm a Hong Kong resident anyway from last time I was there. And then I'll get stuck in. It's extraordinary. It's sort of like Back to the Future in many ways. It was um, when you went in the, in the mid nineties. I think you were thirty two uh, years of age, and you had four children under the age of five. It was an extraordinary move because you'd only been licensed uh, at the start of uh, the first of August nineteen ninety. You'd won the Melbourne Cup with Jern in ninety four, and then out of nowhere, um, ninety five, you said, "I'm off to Hong Kong, New Horizons." Yeah, it was a it was a, uh, we had five great years uh, before I went to Hong Kong originally. We were able to win, uh, you know, some of the races you dream of winning. And I won uh, the Cup that year, and the race after the Cup was the Hong Kong Jockey Club Plate, 1,800 metres. And I was lucky enough to win that race. And General Watkins, the boss of the Hong Kong Jockey Club, had been at the Melbourne Cup that year, and we were lucky enough to win. Most of the group ones in that week, it was just one of those years you have. Mm. And uh, it does help when you have better loosen ups and the bills. <laughs> uh, but what did happen was, uh, in the, while I was on the rostrum doing the speech, he asked me if I'd be interested to train in Hong Kong. And I'd been there the year before and ran second with Farrar in the international. 
told my dad how much I loved the place and it really pricked my ears up, that opportunity. And I went ahead with Crew's blessing and Dad's blessing, which wasn't as easy to get Dad's. Um, and went up there as the youngest trainer ever employed up there. So and had 10 great years there. Your premier trainer up there on uh, two occasions, but uh, obviously it was a, it was a fantastic place for uh, particularly with the tax breaks that that you'd get as far as uh, wealth that you could you know accumulate um, in that period. But back leaving behind, you were leaving your older brother, the late uh, Peter Hayes, uh, to work with your dad. Um, they'd had a little bit of trouble working alongside each other. Uh, how did you get that piecemeal going before you left? Uh, it wasn't that easy. Uh, the reason I was the trainer was Pete used to clash a bit with Dad um, and Pete decided to go out training on his own and he he was... Um, uh, and then in the end, in Peter's training business, uh, when I got the opportunity, uh, I said to, when Pete went out on his own, I said to him, I'm sure you've made the right decision because it gave me the opportunity to train for Lindsay Park. And in the end, Peter was doing a lot of pre-training for me at Oakbank. Uh, and um, he never wanted to be a big trainer. But to his credit, he was able to uh, be talked into coming back to Lindsay Park. And Dad and Peter sort of worked together, but um, it, it wasn't completely easy for them, but they managed to do it. And Peter had, um, you know, six successful years training, uh, while I was in Hong Kong before, unfortunately, he had the nasty accident. In 2001, yes, the tragedy of, of losing your brother. Just just back to when, when you started, you got the... I remember being at the Cox Plate dinner um, on the week of the Cox Plate in 1989, and uh, your dad, the late Colin Hayes, was the, the guest speaker uh, on the night, and he announced at the dinner that this would be his last season. It came as a shock to many people. Then he came out on the Saturday and won the Cox Plate with a, a wonderful galloper in Almorad, but it opened the way for you to take up a licence. And on day one, the 1st of August 1990, your first runner at uh, Strathalbyn, I think it was, so surprising, and it won by five well, lengths. Yeah, it won by five lengths, and uh, we set it up for a long time to try and have my first runner a winner. And she won. It was owned by uh, Bob Robertson, who was a great supporter of Lindsay Park over many years. But the uh, it was incredible. Uh, Dad got out right on top. I think he had an absolute record year his last year, and and left me with a team that that was able to break his record the next year. So that's how, what a great setup we had at the time. Yeah, the transition was amazing, and he gave you the keys to the car, and the car was called Better Loosen Up. Yeah, he, he and Zabil was backup vocals. So, <laughs> um, you know, to, to have a couple of weight rage stars like that. I think Planet Rule was in that group. Mm-hmm. It was one of the great sprinters in Australia. Uh, yeah, there was great team horses. And uh, you got to the 3rd of November, the, the Derby week uh, in November of 1990. You won the first, the Maribyrnong Plate with Razor Rhythm. They won the Hilton on the Park with Wraparound. Beachside won the Wakeful. The Gadsden, the group won, won by Planet Ruler. Then the champ, uh, better loosen up, absolutely blitzed them in the uh, LKS McKinnon beating Stylish Century. And just to top it up, you uh, you won with Mount Olympus, won the Dalgetty, and that horse got into the Melbourne Cup. That was six winners of the eight races on the card, three at Group 1, two at Group 2, and one at Group 3. That's extraordinary. It was a world record. 
yeah, it was, it was just an incredible day. I remember I was pretty confident I'd win two with Better Loosen Up and Raise the Rhythm, uh, the, the two-dollar race. In those days, the Maribel Plate was a much bigger deal than it is now. Yes. Um, it's a bit sad how it's lost its crust a little bit. But um, I, I, but to get six was just surreal. And on that day, I remember the members was a lot different than it is now, not as corporate. And we went back to a friend's car park. And uh, and as we went through the car park, I remember everyone clapped, which was very, very nice. It was a bit special. Uh, uh, now, they wouldn't know you walked in the car park with all the doof-doof music, but uh, <laughs> uh, the, the birdcage is a different place now. Yeah, how true. How very, very true. Yeah, yeah that, that must have given you a real buzz. And I spoke of Better Loosen Up, and your dad had won the Railway Stakes uh, again in his last season with Better Loosen Up in, in the summer of, of 89. And then you had the horse uh, under your, your tutorage to win or to run, actually, first up uh, in the Liston. He ran fourth. It was a real eye-catcher on the 25th of August, 1990. Then this wonderful galloper started this amazing run of winning the Fian, the Turnbull, the Cox Plate, the McKinnon, and then a whole new horizon going to Japan in November of 1990. Um, can I take you back just to, uh, to the Cox Plate, uh, Dave, and... How did you feel? Because he had to run a track record. Stylish Century went out 12 lengths in front. At the halfway mark, there was a photo of you and Tony McAvoy, who was your uh, stable foreman, uh, and you're there with your dad mid-race at the halfway mark. How did you feel when, when the horse was probably, what, 25 lengths from the leaders? Yeah, I, I remember at the 1,000, um, Dad put his hand on my leg and said, um, you've got your whole career to win this, mate. And, and I thought, oh, you know, we're in awful trouble here. And I remember just after the school, I said to Dad, he's starting to come. And and uh, he put in that sustained long run, ran a course record, and on the bend you could tell he was going to win. But I had probably 500 metres of genuine pain. <laughs> uh, but he never let me down that horse. And, and uh, he, he came and was good enough to win and, it was a bit special because Dad won his last and I won my first box plate. So, you know, it's a, it's a race that people work their whole life to try and win. Extraordinary. Let's pick it up. This is the uh, WS Cox Plate and the great uh, champion, Better Loosen Up. They're starting to get busy now and further back in the field, Lord Riveter. Better Loosen Up is 15 lengths off the lead and under the whip followed by the Phantom, Integra and Shizura. Stylish Sentry coming back to them. Five lengths in front now of St Jude Canny Lad. A length into the Tasmanian Citizen under the whip. Two further back. Horlicks making heavy weather of it. They're followed by Better Loosen Up and the Phantom. They've grabbed Stylish Sentry. 400 to go. Canny Lad out wide, raced up now to grab the front seat the challenger and better loosen up from a mile back Kenny Ladd in front but here's the Tasmanian champ now Citizen on the outside Citizen gets to Kenny Ladd and here comes better loosen up with a mighty run Citizen and better loosen up better loosen up on the outside going home better better loosen up takes the cox plate wins it a half length the Citizen the neck away third in the race well there he is David he, he ran a record then um, it was Derby Day only seven days later uh, he must have come off the track bouncing after uh, after the Cox Plate. Yeah, well, we set him for the uh, Japan Cup when he got invited. Uh, it was a toss-up between him and Superimpose. It's when we really had great weight for age group of horses in that era. Mm. Um, and he, I thought he just, because it was going to be a month between runs, he needed a quick run. And so he came out of the Cox Plate brilliantly after running a track record. And he was... You know, it was a good dog.
Coleman that win in the McKinnon when it was run on Saturday. Start a century in front. He's a length and a half to Jewel Treasures. They quicken the 10th hour at the 1,200 metre mark. And he allowed Zalita to stride along. Start a century out two and a half to Jewel Treasures. Four further back, Nabotto. A length then to Mr. Brooker. Fourth, a length and a half to Kesson. Fifth, followed on the outside of him now by Better Loosen up at the 1,000 metre mark. Two to Just a Dancer. They're followed by Royal Creation Solar Circle. Citizen 15 lengths off them. And last year's Melbourne Cup winner, Terrific, is last of all. At the 800 metre mark, Stylish Century given every chance today, dictating a beautiful pace in front. The Black Horse by two and a half to Jewel Treasures. They're followed four lengths away by Mr. Brooker. Terrific taking off around the outside. Better loosen up going with him as they come around the turn. Citizen pulled out very deep and further back than Nabotto on the rail. In the straight, they race 500 to go. Stylish Century's had an easy run in front by two to Jewel Treasures under the whip. Better loosen up is starting to go out after Stylish now. Three further back then Kesson getting into the clear. Then Citizen, Stylish Century in front, 300 to go. Better loosen up on the outside, coming after him. Kesson is starting to run on well. Stylish Century, a neck in front. Better loosen up, gets up to him though. Better loosen up, Stylish Century, stride for stride. Here's a go. Better loosen up, he's too good again, the champion. Better loosen up, a half length to Stylish Century. When I knew he'd done the... the uh, he was fit and all he had to do was maintain him in, in Japan. And, and he came out and I think he broke the world record for a mile and a half in the Japan Cup. Yeah, that's that's a race we won't forget. Uh, I recall flying over there and sitting next to Howard Martin on the way over, and he was the man that bred the horse. And uh, his words still ring in my ear. He said, "You know, um, we think he'll win. He's, you know, he's just he's in incredible form. Although it's a stellar year when you looked at all the entries and acceptances going into that Japan Cup that year." But then he, uh, Howard said to me on the flight going over, he said he'll be a better horse in ninety, better horse in ninety one in the autumn. And that was actually proven too. But that Japan Cup, um, it, you know, he beat Karkawithis and, and Ode. It was a photo finish, but it was a cracking year, wasn't it? It was a vintage year. Uh, they were horses that were the European horses of the year. And in those days, we didn't quite appreciate how much better the European horses were. These horses would never come to Australia. Uh, even now they don't, you know. They, the uh, Ark winner and the King George winner, they stay like golden horns and horses of this era. They stay in England. They don't travel, uh, you know, Frankel. So they were the absolute top, not the handicappers from Europe, but they come down here and beat us. They were the absolute weight rate superstars of the world. And he beat them, which was quite amazing. And it probably took me 10 years 15 years to appreciate what a performance it was for him to do that. Yeah, it, it, it was an amazing performance in a, in a photo finish and, and the trade, of course, with the horse was to get back. Uh, and I say to people, you know, being the, the race caller on the day, uh, you, you can never appreciate, and you just mentioned, you know, it took you 10 to 15 years for it to really sink in, but I'll never forget the roar of the crowd because I was in an open booth and there was 167,000 people there. And I've never heard, and you're probably the same, I've never heard a, a crowd noise like it from the moment they jumped away. Better loosen up is starting to make his run. They're followed further back in the field by Ibn Bay. Well back out of its ground, coming off the back now is French Glory. As they race now to the 900 metre mark, and the leader still is Asashi George, a length and a half to start a century. They're followed by Petit Deal running third, a length and a half. Karkawithis has had a lovely run fourth. 
Two lengths for the back. Belmere starting to put in a claim. They're followed over on the inside by Whitestone when they come up to the bend. Further back then pulled out wide on the track, making a runner's owed, and they're followed by Phantom Breeze. Well back was better loosen up when they turned for home. But the leader away from the rail here is Asashi George at the straight from Stylish Century. Coming up the Mount Rider on the track is Petit Deal. Karkawithi's in the middle, gets a run, and better loosen up is getting out with Belmez down the outside. Karkawithi's has broken loose at the 200 metre mark, two lengths in front. Better loosen up going after him, but running in and further out of the track with a great run is Ode. Ode is after Karkawithi's, better loosen up, and the middle is coming with a magnificent run. Karkawithi's better loosen up, and Ode, better loosen up, and the middle's put his head in front. Better loosen up has won for Australia. Better loosen up has won the Japan Cup from either Ode or Karkawithi's. No, it was incredible, and it needs to be pointed out, you did win the best sporting commentary of the year, I think, with the call. So you nailed the call, and <laughs> it was an incredible... Uh, uh, I still get um, goosebumps hearing it. It's a, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm the same. It's um, it was an Olympic Games for us, wasn't it? And uh, I saw saw your dad and your mum and uh, the family around you, and uh, the late Gabe Farrar and all the people connected with the horse. Uh, it was just one of those mighty moments in sport. It sort of it rose above racing. It was just a great time for Australia and for sport to be a part of all that and and bring that that trophy home. And I remember Bill Collins, the late Bill Collins had to put the bets on for the owners, and it was all tote betting. Um, and he collected, and he had a little suitcase. There were that, that many thousands and thousands of yen that he collected at the time. And we came back to the Keo Plaza, the hotel where everyone was staying, and we're all on the one coach. And uh, Bill, who was a uh, very easygoing guy, as you know, a laconic sort of man, brilliant race caller, an incredible person, but he accidentally left the, the suitcase with money on the coach, and the coach started to pull away, so, <laughs> taking all the punters' money with it. So we caught it just in time, but it was a big win for the owners. Um, it was just an incredible time. Uh, yeah, I remember Bill um, at the time rated uh, Better Loosen Up the best ever, he thought, mm. and he probably had an appreciation of how good a horses he was racing that year. But um, they were a great bunch of owners and a fantastic group of punters. They could really punt, so I know that's a true story. <laughs> and David, um, the horse went to the paddock. Of course, his job was done. Uh, better loosen up after the Japan Cup, and then first up in the autumn, sixteenth of February, and the Blamey out he came. Uh, and I know you know you were very confident about the horse winning first up, and he then took it across to the Australian Cup. Uh, he was able to win too, and he beat Vo Rogue, uh, and he beat Vo Rogue first up in the Blamey. And Vo Rogue was a great champion, particularly in the autumn. So I think Howard Martin was right. He might have been a little bit better from the spring before. Further back in the field, Citizen, and last of all is just an answer as they turn for home. Vorog of the 550-metre mark. Hyatt on the inside. Small gave him a crack with a whip. Clark looked confident on better loosen up. Raced up and grabbed him. Clark looked again. Then Prince Salieri followed by Citizen as they race to the 300-metre mark. And he shakes up better loosen up. And away he goes, this grand horse. He races away two in front of Prince Salieri. Then Vorog who has gone from Citizen. But the main... Better loosen up is drawing clear. Oh, he must be one of the best in the world. Better loosen up. Look at him go over the last hundred metres. A magnificent victory. Better loosen up drives to the line by five lengths. I, I really think he went to another level after. Travelling is quite the opposite to people think. A, a, a trip overseas often improves a horse. Very rarely do they go backwards after a trip overseas. I, I, I took Pra um, to Hong Kong and ran a great second, and he came back and won the Caulfield Cup. Um, and quite 
quite a number of the horses I've travelled, Nick and Nero, at different times, have come back on one group once. And he came back and he certainly improved. And, and to his credit, he had a, a sort of it, an accidental English preparation because he, could, he didn't go racing so late in November to be back racing in February. He really only had a freshen up, not a spell. Mm. So, and, and he bounced off of that trip and he, he went to new heights. And unfortunately, he got to Sydney preparing for the BMW the race this weekend. And he bowed his tendon in the final game. Oh, that, that that must have been heartbreaking. I remember that. Uh, God, you, you, racing's amazing. How it can take you up there and take you to the stars and then just kick you in the guts and drop you just like that? Uh, well, the whole team around Better Loose Night was shattered, as you would be. And uh, it was a really bad um, bow, too. Not, it was an A-grade bow, not a C-grade. Yes, and, and you got him back... Um, and, and he, he almost won the, the, the Cox Plate in 92. He was involved in the interference coming around the turn in the early part of the straight. Um, there was protest left, right and centre. Superimposed, kept the race. But it was absolute mayhem. And, of course, at the 600, we had the fall. Um, there were four or five horses knocked out of it when uh, Palace Rain fell. That, that was the, the highs and lows of that particular race. Again, I remember calling it, uh, and things were just happening left, right and centre. And your horse suffered badly. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, uh, it was the first dry track for the whole spring. It was the wettest spring ever, and better loose not was a duffer in the wet. And so he was um, struggling to find his form. It wasn't his tendon. He'd done a great rehab. And I was pretty confident that he would run a terrific race. And he, he just, Simon Marshall still says he was a certainty beaten. But um, Pat Layla, the superstar steward, for 100 years in, uh, in uh, for the VRC or the RVL, um, when we fired the protest in, um, it was a uh, Letzelope was beaten a short half head by a superimpose, and we protested against Letzelope, and he upheld it, which basically that was, and, and then that, uh, that after the steward said he was the best thing beat in a good race he'd seen in a long time. And uh, it was. So it was uh, fifth against second uphill and, and second was beaten Lynch. Mm. So um, that would have been probably the absolute high of highs that I could ever have, coming back from a boat tent and winning a legendary Cox Plate. It was just denied. It was a bit of you know, racing luck, denied him winning. An amazing race, an amazing race, and a, and a great horse. Is he the best ever in your, your stable? Oh, for me, yes. yes. And... And, like, he never gets uh, put in, you know, the top ten because his career was cut short mm-hmm. and, and he, you know, he didn't win the two or three Cox plates that he was well and truly good enough to do. But him, the two Lindsay Park champions, Dolph Spy got killed in a, uh, in, a, in a Melbourne Cup at the peak of his career, better loosen up both attendant. I think if they were able to go... Um, for a year or two longer, they would have been rated up right with the all-time greats. Not and a doubt. There's a lot of horses like them as well that were denied their chance. But certainly their 12 months of um, dominance, they were as good as anything. David Hayes is my guest this morning on This Is Your Racing Life. We'll take a break and be back in just a moment. I would like Fire and Rain by James Taylor, played at my funeral. One of the, the classic hymns, uh, How Great Thou Art. Led Zeppelin, as I exit the 
the church, it'll have a beautiful day playing. Anything by Bon Jovi. Something like Only the Lonely. That's the sort of song that I uh, I turn up or crank up whenever it sort of comes on. Personalise your funeral the way you like. Download Tobin Brothers Funerals Memory Maker app now from iTunes or Google Play or visit turbinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Racing Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Back with David Hayes. David, just before the break, you mentioned Dulcify. Uh, the 1979 Cox Plate is one of the great Cox Plates that, that I've seen. I think most would agree that can go back that far, which is over 40 years ago. Um, you're a teenager then. Uh, what, what was your recollection of, of Dulcify? And that day, but even leading into that day, because he was a it was a cheap horse uh, with a parrot mouth that your father brought from the the sales in New Zealand. Yeah, he he, he cost three thousand dollars and won his first race incredibly three hundred to one. How did that happen? And and he just uh, he he won you know the Australian Derby, the Australian Cup, um, and all the lead ups to the Cox Plate, and then ran that incredible Cox Plate, which was I think until Winks came along the greatest winning margin. And uh, that day, his last 800 was faster than the Moya. The, the Moya used to be run on the same day. And he was a very, very special horse. At the 400, Dulcify shot away two and a half lengths imposing. Then Shivery under the whip from Arbor Shane and Gypsy Kingdom. But Dulcify well clear. Brent Thompson going for his fourth Cox Plate. And he's got it. He's home, Dulcify. He's six lengths in front of Chivalry and then Arbrashane imposing stopping. Dulcify's won by a minute, and that's the way he might win the Melbourne Cup. Dulcify by six lengths to Chivalry. I remember Jack Pertell saying to me afterwards, that's the best win I've ever seen in the Cox Plate. And he was a very experienced, rational race watcher. And uh, and I think uh, it was easily the best win I've seen in the race. Because uh, they were all high-class horses, and and he showed that uh, brilliant electrifying finish that he had, and uh, showed that he was right on top of it all. Came out, won the McKinnon the following Saturday, like better loosen up, and then started short price favourite in the Melbourne Cup, and was uh, galloped on, and unfortunately put down. Could um, they couldn't save him uh, on on the course, so it was a very very sad day for. Dad especially, because at that stage he hadn't won a Melbourne Cup. And I know Dad thought, well, if I can't win this horse, I'll never win it. Yeah, how true. And I, I remember your dad saying at the end of his career that in racing, probably the Cox Plate gave him his greatest moment with Dulcify and his saddest moment, you know, 10 days later when the horse had to be put down after Hyperno accidentally galloped on on, on his back legs uh, from behind. David, there was a story um, about Dulcify when he went to the West and and sort of the, the transport of coming back from the West back to uh, to Lindsay Park. Just just tell us more about that. Yeah, he was a really... The reason he started 300 to 1, he was a terrible traveller, so he never trialled before he ran. So no one really knew how good he was. And um, uh, when he uh, went over to Perth, he nearly killed himself on the plane uh, going there. And then so coming back, they decided to float him back. And it was 43 degrees and the float broke down on the Nullarbor. And so he had a horrific transit home. And a fellow called Terry Ryan, who ended up a successful trainer, was looking after him. And he took him to the beach. 
weighed him in the water and made the trip bearable for the horse. And so after the horses were pretty tough in those days, he went straight from that horrific trip into training at Lindsay Park and went on and beat Manicato in the Australian Cup. And, and uh, he won that race at very big odds as well. But if you ever want to see an incredible performance, have a look at his winning that race, running down the champion. It was just an incredible race. Willits hasn't let go, and Manicato's two in front. Now he goes for three in front from Turf Ruler. Le Maire's gone. Then double century Lloyd Boyd. Dulcify trying to get out from Salamander, family of man. With 200 to go, Willits waving the whip at Manicato. The champion three-year-old's well clear, but family of man's flying down the outside. Manicato stopping, and Dulcify will beat them. Dulcify gets the split and gets up to beat Manicato. Manicato dashing away and uh, Dulcify emerged from the pack at 80 to 1 and he ran down one of the greatest ever in Manicato. That, that was a vintage race that, uh, that won in the late 70s uh, at, uh, at Flemington in the Australian Cup. When we look back at Lindsay Park, your father went there and sort of operations started uh, in 1965 on July 1. Uh, when I read back through the annals, and uh, he, your dad, Colin, had been at Bowfield Stud um, around the Gawler district on the Gawler River, and then he, he branched out and took the part of buying, it was like a sheep and cattle station, is that, is that right, for about $200,000 with a group of, like a syndicate of, of people? Yes, he did. He put a syndicate together. He's never happy at Bowfields. He didn't think it was good enough, and uh, he thought... He went with David Coles and went for a um, trip around the Brosser Valley, the, the beautiful land in the valley. And this was probably the, uh, one of the better properties in the state. And they went and knocked on Sir Keith Anderson's door and asked if he'd sell it. And, so, and sometimes 100 to 1 shots get up. <laughs> and he did. So uh, the rest was history. Uh, you know, Lindsay Park became one of the great studs of Australia and, and one of the most famous training centres. And he, he did. He, he shared his training with uh, establishing a, a, a fantastic showpiece uh, for South Australian breeding with horses like Romantic and Natural Bid and Ruin Talon and Attila and, of course, the, the record breaker in Without Fear and, and Jeune Later. So uh, how did he do... It's an incredible what your father achieved. Trained over 5,000 winners, I think... Uh, well, it was about the number of premierships in Victoria. He was premier trainer in Victoria from the 77-78 season to 89-90 when he handed you the uh, the stable. He won 13 premierships in Melbourne. Um, it, it's extraordinary when you think what he was able to do, as I say, with breeding and training. And by the time you got to Lindsay Park, you know, by my calculation, you'd have been, what, two or three years of age. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so I can't take much credit for what he did. <laughs> uh, but... Look, he, he was, um, he lived for it. He started, you know, as a boilermaker and ended up a, a trainer that became a top reader. I think these days, with the intensity of racing, it would be impossible to be a leading breeder and a leading trainer like he was. But um, he managed to do it and uh, and did it very well. So uh, we're all very proud of him and... and uh, um, his legacy will live on through Lindsay Park here at Yeroa. Uh, he was a visionary. Uh, there's no question of that. And his slogan was, the future belongs to those who plan for it. And this is sort of the phase that you're going through now, you know, bringing uh, your son Ben and the, and the twin boys, uh, JD and Will, into the business and your nephew in, in Tom Dabnick. 
Um, and and you've 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 sort of followed that same sort of jargon, haven't you? Yeah, one of his other mottos was a family that works together stays together, mm. and uh, that's certainly a motto I've taken. Um, I get a lot of pleasure working with my boys, and uh, my daughter even works with a dolphin, uh, and uh, and Prue really uh, runs the you know runs the business side of things for us. So Prue and I were able to uh, build this property up from scratch, and we finally finished it and developed it. And I think the, the boys have come on far enough where they can stand up on their own two feet on this magnificent training centre. And we'll talk about uh, Eurora in just a moment. But, David, uh, just in that period of 90 to 95 before you went to Hong Kong, uh, you won the race that everyone wants to win with Jean, and it was for Sheikh uh, Hamdan, who your dad had sort of uh, had nurtured into the stable back uh, back in the 80s or the late 80s. Uh, and again, he was the one that sort of saw that, you know, the, the, the people, the, the, the Dubai and the wealth of Dubai uh, to bring them and introduce them to Australian racing as he did with Robert Sangster. Yes, like um, Sheikh Hamdan's still um, the stable's largest owner, uh, been wonderfully successful. And Robert Sangster for years was the biggest owner and friend of the family. Uh, and they actually bought a stud together through Rory's Jester and uh, they had countless great winners. And Robert, when I started training, uh, really got behind me and, and gave me terrific support and endorsement for the, probably at that time, the leading owner in the world. And the Caulfield Cup, you won with Fra, Jeune in that Melbourne Cup. Um, how big was that day? Uh, Wayne Harris, of course, aboard. Uh, he's been a wonderful story in racing too, but that 94 Melbourne Cup, that's, uh, that obviously sticks uh, firmly in, in your brain now. Oh, it does. And it showed that probably the future of the Melbourne Cup, um, very hard to win with a handicapper now, and Germ was the Australian horse of the year. Like He was you know, an outstanding weight for age horse. Uh, I don't know how many good runs off the top of my head he won, but if he didn't win, he ran second in them. And uh, he was probably known as a mile and a half horse that had the class to run two miles. And uh, Wayne Harris rode him brilliantly and he actually started favouring the Cox Plate and acted up at Mooney Valley. Didn't didn't fire there, but ran a great race in the McKinnon and came out and won the Melbourne Cup. So once again, good tough era of racing where you used to run them uh, quite regularly. Poking up on the fence, Gossip's got a nice run through. They're followed by Jean Top rating and on the outside, Coachwood. Further back is Grass Valley. Vintage Crop is very wide around the outside of our Pompeii. Top rating is now drifted back in the Melbourne Cup, followed by Starstruck and well back in the race, Paris Lane. They're followed by Impala, Glastonbury, Clevedon Gale and Major Decision. They come down the side in the Cup and it's pressure time at the 950 metre mark where Gull Sovereign, the leader, looming up as the bolt and our Toll Belder headed off of the 800 metre crossing, a length for the back double take. They're followed further back by Oppressor. River Burden coming around the outside. Further back in the race then. At the head of the others is Vintage Crop. He's starting to improve. He's out very deep. He's tracking out wide when they come up towards the turn. On the bend they race in the Melbourne Cup. 600 metres to go. Double take took over from Toll Bell. Over on the inside Oppressor. Further out River Burden. Vintage Crop and Paris Lane. Paris Lane. Look at him come down the outside with a withering run. They're followed by Umpala but Paris Lane out in the centre. Racing up now to grab Jim. 
Keanu got through from further back. LK Vintage Crop can't go on. Over on the inside, clear now. Jean. Jean has raced two lengths in front of Impala and Paris Lane. Jean, the import, is holding them at bay. It's Jean in front for David Hayes. Two lengths in front of Paris Lane. And Impala and Jean wins the Melbourne Cup. Jean, a length and three quarters, Paris Lane. Yeah, he won the Underwood in 94. Then he won the Melbourne Cup the same year. Uh, came back with a brilliant performance in the Ore. And the Ore was run at Sandown that particular year in 95. He ran brilliant time. And then he went on and campaigned at Eastern and won the Queen Elizabeth. But I, I remember talking to you at the time. You always said that he there, there was always issues with his feet. Yeah, he, he was a horse that um, was constantly in Equilox, which is sort of thing. He had, always would crack his feet, but very tough. Like, uh, had a constitution of a bull and really one of the better horses I've trained. David and uh, ended up a very good stallion as well. He did. He did a fantastic job at stud. Uh, and you were in Hong Kong, of course, as we say. You went there in the the mid nineties, um, and you were you're kicking goals. Did it take you long to sort of get going once you got to Hong Kong? How did you find it? No, I, I, I uh, was lucky enough. My first runner was a winner, <laughs> and by Christmas in my first season. Um, I was leading trainer, so it was a. And if you don't get going in Hong Kong, they often think that you can't train there. It's a different sort of place. So, I luckily, hit the ground running, and and uh, the rest was history in Hong Kong. We we had ten great years there. Uh, won a couple of uh, premierships and was in the top four every year I was there. So, won most of the big races there, and and uh, and loved it. Uh, the Chinese, the punters, it's all punt-driven, isn't it? Uh, they're great gamblers. And if you are unlucky or whatever, they'll they'll turn on you pretty quickly, the public. Uh, yeah, they will. The one of the great things about training in Hong Kong is when they're abusing you, you can't understand them. <laughs> so, uh, or, or you get the uh, Twitter feedback, which is sometimes not as nice as it can be. You don't have to read it, which is nice. <laughs> Um, and, and cultivating owners, um, was that difficult? I, I suppose your success proves that, the, that it wasn't. I never found it too hard, but um, some people just can't adapt to it. Uh, but, uh, you know, it is different there, uh, but we're in their country and you just have to adjust. And uh, that was a challenge that, you know, people said, why would you go to Hong Kong in all those years ago? And one of the challenges was to, proof that I could train winners away from Lindsay Parker, my father. And I think that'll give Tom and Ben the opportunity of not having me here and they'll get the credit of the hard work they're doing uh, next season. We're talking with David Hayes, our guest this morning on This Is Your Racing Life, and we'll be back after this word. How would you like to be celebrated? I think I'd like to be celebrated with lots of um, music, dancing, a bit of a party. I'd like to be celebrated at the pub with a few frothies. Maybe some colourful balloons, my favourite flowers. How about some glitter? I'd like to be celebrated in space. Outdoors, having all my family and friends together. At Turban Brothers Funerals, they know that every life is unique, and they think that every celebration should be too. Find out more or at tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Racing Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. David Hayes, my guest uh, on This Is Your Racing Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating life. Uh, just going back through your life, um, you're a, a real lover of sport. 
you played Aussie rules for Central Districts in the SANFL. Uh, you got the state champion runner and athletics. You excelled in high jump and, and triple jump. Um, did you make the Olympic squad, the early squad? Uh, yeah, I, I made the Commonwealth squad. Oh, that, that's good. Because it is for the Commonwealth Games, but um, I could run third in Australia, but there was a gap to second. And <laughs> I, 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 I'm a noted optimist, but I was never good enough to get to second. And the first two went through, and they were very sound and very good. <laughs> so, what about um, what about Will uh, the, the, playing with the Bulldogs? Where's he at? Because he. He had had the the season last season. Well, this season's on hold. Um, he's sort of like a mature recruit, wasn't he? Yeah, he had um, five very good years. He was you know, real small. He still, well, his brother rides track work still, and identical. Um, so he he got a mature age pick uh, after having two terrific seasons. Got close a couple of times in the five years playing VFL, and he finally got his chance last season, and he played two Mars Series games and nine games, which is very good for a first season, and played in a final. So he had a good... He had, a, I think, got a tick and a good pass mark. Uh, and this year, uh, he got suspended in the Mars final for rough play and uh, it wasn't available for round one, but now the season's on hold. It doesn't really matter. So, so he's still in that squad? Yes, he... he, he Played two the two trials and unfortunately got himself suspended. Uh, Proust temper comes out occasionally. <laughs> I'll take that as done. <laughs> and, and JD James David, uh, he's the twin of Will. Um, he's he's playing and coaching locally at Euroa. I did, yeah. He 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 played VFL and was a very good player, and uh, he made a decision to. Not, not go on with it. He wasn't quite as into it as Will, but had, he's had three very successful years in the Golden Valley. He played for Vic Country. He coached. He's the youngest coach in the Golden Valley, but he's stepping right back now, and he's more full time working for Lindsay Park and been a great help to Tom Ben and myself. If you put the two of them together uh, and work them as far as AFL terms go, who's the better of the twin? There was not a lot between them, to be honest. Um, JD's a raking left foot, and Will's a right footer, uh, but they both can kick either side. I, a lot of the coaches are divided, so it's just a mental thing when you get to that level. And mm. JD just didn't quite believe he was good enough, and Will still thinks he is, so that's why he's still playing. <laughs> well said. Back to Hong Kong and sort of towards the half of the 10 years. In 2001, tragedy hit the family with uh, the sudden death of, of your elder brother, Peter. Uh, how influential was Peter growing up with you as far as racing went? Oh, well, for most of my junior years, Dad was quite unwell. Um, he, he was uh, physically couldn't do the manual work. And so I learned a lot of my craft from my older brother, who was 13 years my senior. And uh, I had a terrific relationship with Pete. And and then I, that's why I was able to talk him back into taking my job when I left round one to Hong Kong. So uh, when he went down, it was a real shock because, um, um, one, you're never ready for an accident like that. And I remember mum said, 
you know, you never plan to bury your bury your own son. No. And um, uh, you know, it was a big shake up for Lindsay Park and the industry at the time. And luckily, uh, Tony McAvoy stepped up to the plate because I hadn't finished. Uh, I had a bit more I wanted to do in Hong Kong, and Tony stepped in and had a couple of good years and won a Cox Plate for someone. Yes. And, and uh, Tony's training well on his own now. He's, he's got a very good business. Well, I suppose Tony was very lucky because he had a great teacher in Colin Hayes and in actual fact yourself, but uh, it was never planned that way. But you still stayed uh, in Hong Kong, but that uh, through tragedy had sort of, you know, put that in place for Tony to take over and uh, did so well uh, in the short time that he was there. He won a premiership, of course, in Melbourne. Peter had won four in Melbourne. Uh, All up, Lindsay Park had won 26, which is extraordinary. You're in front of the moment. I think Eustace Marr are sort of the ones who are coming after the team at the moment, but I know you'll fight on. Could I go back when you did arrive back uh, here in Australia? Um, a wonderful filly developed out of the stable that would win a golden slipper at two and at the same in the same year win, a, win an Oaks, and I talk of Miss Finland. Yeah, and two guineas in between. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And a Memzy. She's very good filly, um, a dream to get, and uh, probably... I don't think you'll see that achievement again. I don't think it could happen again. So, you know, she ran second in the Blue Diamond, won the slipper, won the two-mile guineas in the spring and autumn, uh, and then, of course, won the Oaks. And then at weight for age, won the uh, Memzi. And when it was her first million-dollar Memzi, and in in one of her cox plates was quite unlucky. But thank God Phil Tavoma was around and he won it. So... (laughs) So uh, she she got an assured report 18 times in that Cox Plate. So yeah. I remember I was absolutely cracking it. And uh, then I looked up at the 300 and there was Craig Williams and Fieldsy steaming down the outside. <laughs> Let's go back to that golden slipper and Craig Williams, uh, as Craig does in, in big races, made a decision to go back to the rail uh, in 2006 at Rose Hill on Golden Slipper Day on Miss Finland. Most were swinging wide. Um, was he riding to instructions? or how did, What did you work out before the slipper? Oh, look, in my time with Craig, I, I let him uh, do the riding and I did the training. <laughs> and, uh, you know, sometimes I'd be scratching my head and other times I'd be kissing him. So uh, <laughs> uh, I would say uh, that was just a... She missed the start and he went to plan B and, and uh, the rest is history. Followed over on the inside, Miss Finland, a good margin, Universal, Queen Pure Energy and Just Mambo's last on the side. And the leader now, Cap Hero, a length or so on Blue Largo, followed in third position as they race up to approach the home corner. Pure Energy out very, very wide. A length and a half to one time. Boom time savings. Diego Garcia, then Casino Prince. Miss Finland has got a dream run through. And further away is Universal Queen in the straight now. And coming to the 300. Cap here are in front. Boom time savings. Miss Finland on the outside. Gold edition. And this group a couple of links on. Just Mambo Churchill downs the other. But Miss Finland, she shut away the good sort. Miss Finland's put pay to them in the slipper. And Miss Finland bolts it in second pure energy third Churchill Downs. he actually was out walking the track the race before and in his mind he thought there was nothing between the inside and outside and we all know uh, what a good track worker Craig is he did the same before the Melbourne Cup Danny O'Brien was telling me I think he walked the track four to five times before the cup uh, last spring uh, to find the best ground and 
and that's on vow and declare that's what won him the cup but that's what won him the slipper back uh, 14 years ago on uh, Miss Finland and and David uh, you mentioned Fields and I wanted to save the best to last that Cox Plate uh, Tony was able to win the race in 2003 and give uh, we we the owners the greatest thrill that we've, we've ever had and then see that old horse come back year in year out and run in five Cox Plates and then uh, we announced his retirement as you know we rang you on the Friday and said look um, we think he's, uh, his time's up he's going to run in five that'll equal the record of um, some 42 years held by Tranquil Star he's nine years of age uh, we feel as though it's time to, to pull the pin did you um, do you, did you think we're going off a little early? What was your general thought? Um, he was a horse that uh, well documented. It sounds like he was a very sound horse, but he he took a lot of management, and uh, I just felt he won. He broke his core through who's winning the Futurity that year, and uh, I, I, and then of course he won the Cox Plate, and he was retired, and, and it was a lovely story. But I wish I hadn't written the book. I <laughs> <laughs> think we might have got another season out of him and the horse he beat came out and won the Cox Plate the next year yeah. but he never finished further back I don't think the fourth in the Cox Plate so he's really if they write a Cox Plate warrior he's right up there and it took Kybe Diva one year to beat him in her golden year he was a super horse yeah, he was a, he was a great horse, and it was so much of that was because of the management of uh, you people at Lindsay Park. If he didn't have um, uh, the fabulous vet that you had there, and and Campbell Baker, Campbell Baker, who uh, managed him so well, and I recall uh, when he did that second suspensory, the horse Campbell's thought it was all over, and he's about to sort of come to the office and give me a call. I managed the syndicate to tell us it was all over, but he, he thought he'd give him another month and just see if the picture changed on the, uh, on the scanning that you were doing. And the picture did change, and he was able at that particular year come back and win the Cox Plate. It's extraordinary. Uh, and that, that race, the Futurity at Caulfield, was run over 1,600 that year. That's 14 years ago. And he broke the track record, and he still got that record some 14 years on, and he was eight years of age, actually, when he did it. Yeah, and, and there was a theory that he, he, he didn't like Caulfield, but um, <laughs> he, he learned to like it. He, he ended up very good there as well. He was a good horse anywhere on his day, but probably absolutely world-class when he went to the Valley. The Apache Cat led Pompey Ruler by a length. A length and a half away third is Aquadamore. Then Red Dazzler, he's fourth on the outside. Lad of the Manor, fifth the rail. Racing to wins on the move now for Boss, and he's moved up. He's got into fifth placing at the 800 turn. Then came our Smoking Joe. Casual pass took off, and then Miss Finland. Grace Wallow got lost on the inside. Second last fields of Omar, and El Segundo is last, but the field is packed up now. And with 500 left to go, Apache Cat grabbed by Red Dazzler and Pompey Ruler. Casual passes wide out. Racing to win is still there, but he's under a lot of pressure. Aquadamore was next trying to thread through. Here comes El Segundo. Pompey Ruler, he's the leader coming around the home turn from Aquadamore, Red Dazzler. Then down the outside comes El Segundo from Racing to Win. Pompey Ruler's got a big lead around the turn in the Cox Plate. Two links to Aquadamore. Fields of Omar is running on. So is El Segundo. Pompey Ruler in front from El Segundo. Fields of Omar is coming on the outside. El Segundo, Pompey Ruler. Fields of Omar. Fields of Omar. I think he might have done it and beat El Segundo and Pompey Ruler. As we wind up now, tell me about your rower. Um... 
and you've got it in place now that um, Ben and, and Tom will take over the, the running of the ship and all the backup from the family around them. So you, you, you're more than comfortable that, that it's all in place. What actually do you have there? Because I remember going back in the late 90s when it was sort of starting up, but um, it's evolved to a dream training establishment. And of course, millions and millions of dollars you've invested. You had to sell Lindsay Park to, to, to put it to where it is now. Yeah, I had to sell the family uh, property in Adelaide um, simply because I just thought long-term with the boys going forward where we are now, this is 20 years ago, that um, Melbourne was the place you wanted to be if you're going to be a horse trainer. And I think the gap between Adelaide and Melbourne vindicates that decision from when Dad was training compared to now. Um, but it was a, it was another cattle farm. that had, And then we, we originally only had one track on it which is a 1,400-metre uphill pro-ride. But now we've, we've got six tracks on it, a 2,000-metre grass track, which is like a course proper, a, a all-weather track pro-ride, which does the bulk of the fast work. We've got a mile-and-a-half sand track, which switches legs, changes direction. And we've got an under-lights 800-metre track where we can work the horses slow on the Sydney leg. Uh, we've got... Um, it's really for 200 horses, uh, water walker, galloping treadmills, uh, swimming pool. Basically, it's a hamburger with a lot. Um, it's got wonderful day paddocks where they can go out during the day and 1,200 acres to spell. So if you had a clean sheet of paper, um, it's the sort of thing you would do. Uh, and it cost an absolute fortune. I haven't got any more of my Hong Kong money left. I had to sell the original Lindsay Park to do it. We've finished it now, and we're really, really happy with it. And I think it'll be a world-class training facility for many years to come. And the good thing is there's no money owing on it, so we've got it done. But um, it'll be nice to get back to Hong Kong uh, to get a bit of it back. David, is this the last phase, do you think, of your training uh, life? Yeah, look, I'm relatively young at 57. Um, I'm the oldest trainer ever to be employed back in Hong Kong. I was the youngest when I got the first job and the oldest the second time. But I did the form on the Hong Kong trainers. I'm actually midfield in age because <laughs> I went there so young. So, um, but it, I think it just opens up opportunities for the boys here. Uh, they'll get enormous credibility for training winners when I'm not there. And... I just feel by the time I come home, which I'm not sure when it will be, there'll be a stage where I'll be better coming back as the chairman rather than the trainer. And uh, I'll be always a phone call away if they need any help. And uh, I'd rather be the chairman of this business than, than the trainer. And the age, there's an age limit of 65, is it, in Hong Kong? Yeah, um, I think John Moore got to 70. Yeah, uh, he got an they, extension. They, yeah. they put a rule in that if you're a top two trainer, uh, you can stay on. Uh, there's some criteria. So uh, if I'm going well uh, at 65, I can stay on. And if I'm not going well, I want to come home anyway. So <laughs> I would say about 65 will be my limit. Thank you so much for your time. It's uh, it's an amazing story in the history of Australian racing and, and worldwide racing, what you've achieved and what you're leaving behind and setting up for the future that belongs to those who have planned for it. You have planned for it. Uh, appreciate your time and 
and good luck. More importantly, good health to you and Prue. And uh, I know you'll be kicking plenty of goals over there. Thanks, Ryan. Good on you. David Hayes speaking with us this morning on This Is Your Racing Life. That's the last of our series. Uh, next week, it's This Is Your Football Life. Uh, there'll be a lot to talk about in football, not many games, but Kevin Barton will give you the great stories of, of the personalities behind uh, football. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, uh, celebrating life, uh, we're on podcast after 10 this morning. And thank you so much. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the series. What vehicle would you like at your final farewell? I'd like to go out on a Harley, get the engine revving. I'd love a Ford. A Chrysler. It would have to be a Holden because I learnt to drive in a Holden. A Dodge. Um, definitely a Harley. I think I'd like to go out in style in a limo. Oh, I love my Ford. It's got to be a Ford. At Tobin Brothers Funerals, they have a variety of vehicles to choose from. Find out more at tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.